Welcome this morning to TCC. So good to to see so many of you on this long weekend. Um, I should probably um, just dispel any possible confusion or frustration that you have with with me right now. Um, As one person already mentioned to me this morning, they were quite upset that I was wearing red. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, um, but they felt like I was maybe betraying my own loyalty to the Edmonton Oilers. And, uh, and at, Pastor Adam came up with a good excuse. You can say, just tell them that you're a little bit colorblind, which is true, red-green colorblind, and so it looked orange to me, okay? So <clears throat> that's really none of that. Just paying homage to Tiger Woods who had to pull out of the PGA Championship. But uh, I don't know if you've been following along, but people are kind of going crazy about this uh, Battle of Alberta, aren't they? going crazy about the Oilers. You see uh, some of the cars decked out with flags, and some of you are wondering what the, the, what the craziness is all about. Um, the big deal about the Battle of Alberta is that there's this other city that shall remain nameless two and a half hours south of us, and, uh, and we have a, a pretty significant rivalry with them. What's interesting, though, is that uh, it has, it's been 31 years since the last time that we've met in the playoffs. That's a long time ago. I'm old enough to remember that, though, as probably are, are some of you. But I was doing the math, and I thought, you know the crazy thing is? That um, my son, our son Lucas, is the same age as I was the last time that the Battle of Alberta happened. So, uh, as you know, people can get really passionate about sports. In Canada, of course, it's, it's hockey. Uh, we're considered sort of this hockey-crazed world in the U.S., probably a lot of other sports, but football uh, seems to be kind of their, uh, their weekly act of worship in some ways. Uh, you go to other parts of the world, and you'll find just totally rabid soccer fans, or as they would call it, football. And, um, you know, the, the World Cup of, of football, of soccer, is, is uh, one of the, the largest and most viewed sporting events in the world. So people become very involved in their sports. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I suspect some of you follow sports pretty closely. I hope that this doesn't make you feel too uncomfortable. Because here's the thing about sports is it, it can really affect us if we allow it to go that far, right? We feel these great highs, these great joys when our team wins. And then we feel these low lows, this almost overcome with despair maybe when they lose. I don't know if some of you saw it, but after the Oilers eliminated uh, the Los Angeles King, there was this video, Los Angeles Kings, it was more than just one of them. Um, um, There was this video that surfaced of uh, a guy at Game 7 at at Rogers Place who was just like walking and he was like barely able to walk and he literally like falls to his knees in despair and you're just kind of like, seriously, dude? Like, this is how, how, how intense you, you take this. Perhaps you would agree, though, that there is more to life than sports. Sports, as best as entertainment, gives us something to do, something to talk about. Um, our support, no matter how loudly I cheer at home, has, very, has, has nothing to do with the eventual outcome. No matter how much I yell at the refs or how much uh, I want to cheer them on, it, has, it, it just doesn't work that way. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy sports. I want to cheer the Oilers on. I, I think it would be absolutely fantastic if they won a Stanley Cup. 
I'd be very happy for, you know, Connor and Leon and Mike and Darnell, and yes, I'm on a first-name basis with these guys. Um, but it would be great for the whole team, right? And, and for the city and all of those things. But we always have to remember that there's more to life than sports. And it's really hard to tell that sometimes by just watching some of the fans. The fact is that as followers of Jesus, we can and should live lives that are passionate and purposeful, lives that are filled with hope and meaning, lives that make a difference in our world. Friends, that is something that we can get excited about. Most people think about and wrestle with the meaning and purpose in life. And my question to you this morning, is that something that's on your radar? Is that something that you think about when you wake up in the morning? What is it that brings meaning and purpose to my life? Beyond what you might be doing that day, beyond uh, the, the nursing home that you're working at, beyond uh, being a tradesman, beyond uh, being a stay-at-home mom or dad, beyond being a lawyer or a doctor or a dentist or whatever you do, beyond all of those things that we spend our working hours doing, is there something that is greater and higher? Today we're going to discover that as followers of Jesus, We have, in fact, been mandated for a mission. We have been commissioned by none other than Jesus himself. And I want to say to you this morning that I don't believe that there is any higher calling nor a greater purpose. We're in the early weeks of a new series of messages we've entitled Startup. It's about how the church was set in motion, how this movement known as Christianity got started, how the church was set, sent on mission. And it's really a deep dive into the history of the beginning of the church and the spread of Christianity. What was it about those early days that made the message come alive in the way that it did? Thankfully, we have a historical record of this in the book of Acts. And so we're making our way slowly through these opening verses and the opening chapter because it really sets the foundation for the rest of the story. We're learning about Jesus' life after the resurrection. You see, as, 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 as Christians, we, we typically put so much emphasis on the resurrection. We, 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 we remember Easter not that long ago, and rightfully so. But we miss that the Bible records some detail about his life even after the resurrection. Last week, Pastor Adam had us thinking about this time of transition, how the disciples were sitting in this moment of major transition. And it was a time of of wondering and waiting. It was a time filled with mystery. The what now? It was a time when their questions were being answered. Their doubts were addressed. Can you imagine if Jesus had just been resurrected and then immediately took off and went to heaven, and all of these unanswered questions remained? What would Thomas have done with his doubt? What would a heartbroken mother have thought? And Luke records for us that Jesus calls his 11 disciples together, and he has a message for them. And it's simply this. Listen, guys, you will continue what I've started. So stay and wait here in Jerusalem. Don't wait until that day. We're going to talk about that day in a couple of weeks. But don't leave. 
And Jesus here in these verses lays out in the clearest words possible the mission that he's giving to his followers. They were, in these verses, I want to say to, say to you this morning, mandated for mission. They were commissioned. They were given all authority to go and take this word and tell other people about it. So let's take a closer look at this mission to which we've been called. First of all, what is the mission? I like just asking some really basic questions to make our way through the text. Verse 8, in the middle of the verse, Jesus makes absolutely clear what he's expecting of his followers. He simply says this, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. It's clear, it's unequivocal. This is the recurring message of Acts. Acts records for us just how his followers accepted and then carried out this mandate to be a witness. As witnesses, we're entrusted with this message, the gospel, which in the simplest terms is this. Jesus came in the flesh, and he died to pay the penalty for our sins. He was resurrected and thereby thereby defeated death. And as a result, we can have our sins forgiven, and we have the promise of eternal life. The gospel is summarized really in in one well-known verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And every one of us needs to be confronted with this question. Do we believe this? Do we believe this? That God loved the world, that God loved me, and that he gave his son, his one and only son, he gave him to die on a cross, that whoever would believe in him We'll never die, they won't perish, but they'll have eternal life. And so to believe this requires that we actually admit, first of all, that we are in fact a sinner in need of forgiveness. To, to believe this, we, we, we need to accept the fact that Jesus did die to pay the penalty for our sins. To believe this, to to trust in Jesus, by definition means that we then follow him in obedience. Friends, this is good news. This is the gospel. This is great news. This is the message that the, the, the apostles and now us were entrusted to carry. It's grace. Amazing grace. Grace, because it's a free gift given to each one of us, ours to receive. And so Ephesians, Paul carries, carries on this theme, and he makes it very clear, for it is by grace you have been saved. Not your own works. It's grace, God's grace that has saved you through faith. That's what we exercise. And even this faith is not from ourselves. It is a gift of God. Do you understand that? That God gave you the faith to believe. Some of you might even be here this morning and you're not even sure why you're here. But maybe over the last weeks and months there's been this stirring. You've had a conversation with somebody at work. You watch something on YouTube and you're wondering, what is it about the Christian faith that people are willing to give themselves to? to worship. You see, it's really not all that complicated, but it does require on our part a commitment to then live for Jesus. And living for Jesus means that we become witnesses to his transforming work in our lives. 
Like the words of a familiar hymn that we sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found. That is all of our testimonies. I was blind, but now I see because my eyes have been opened. And I see the reality and the truth of what Jesus has done for me. And our witness goes beyond words. It's about how we live and how little by little there's this work of transformation that takes place in our lives. And the Spirit of God starts to do this work. And we begin to see fruit or evidence of a changed life. And that in and of itself speaks volumes. And to be a witness requires commitment and passion as well. You see, for many Oilers fans and Flames fans too, and really fans of probably any major sports team, there's usually never a mistake about who they're loyal to, even if they wear the wrong colored shirt. Because they wear the jersey. They cheer loudly. They go crazy when they score. They go completely bonkers when they win. It was a little bit embarrassing, even as an Oilers fan, to see the celebrations after one game, one victory. But it just reveals this passion that people have. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we can't be silent spectators. And as witnesses of Jesus, we have a jersey too. Paul writes in Colossians this way, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen People, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves or put on, put on this jersey that is representative of the one that you're loyal to. Clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, to be a witness means that our lives become an example of what we proclaim. We can't stand and say, you know, Jesus saves on the corner without ever walking the talk. And that's the beauty of the book of Acts. We get to see how passionate the followers of Jesus were, how seriously they took their mission. They preached when they needed to. They backed up their words with how they lived. This is a mandate for all followers and believers in Jesus Christ. You will be my witnesses. There's no escaping it. There's no wiggle room. We can't say that it's only for the really radical ones. God calls you. He calls me. We say yes, and we immediately are commissioned to then be witnesses of His transforming grace in our lives, to give testimony of His work in our lives. So that is the mission that each one of us has been mandated to be Jesus' witnesses. Well, you say, okay, well, I can accept that, but where do I need to be uh, on mission? Where do I need to be this witness? Is there a specific place? And in the words of Jesus, recorded by Luke the historian in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 again, he specifically says that we're to be his witnesses, he says, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, perhaps these words are so familiar with, for us, and we don't give them much thought. But to the apostles who heard him say this, when Jesus told them this, that they would be his witnesses in these geographical locations, they might have gotten a bit of a lump in their throat. Really? Jerusalem? That's where you were crucified, Jesus. And you want us to go back there? 
We, we were identified with you, and, 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 and sorry, Jesus, but we were a little afraid for our lives, and so we hid. You know, Peter denied Jesus, even being with Jesus in Jerusalem. But yeah, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. What about Judea? I mean, they had earlier been rejected there. Or Samaria, these people were hated by the Jews, and you're telling us to go to them? Yeah, go there too. Oh, and to the end of the earth. At that time, the, no, the known world kind of extended to, to, uh, into, into um, Greece and Italy and Rome. And they would have wondered, we're to take this message from the Jewish people to the Gentiles as well? Yes. Because the gospel was never for one ethnic group. The gospel was intended to cross ethnic boundaries as well. And the rest of the book of Acts tells the story of how the apostles took this mandated mission seriously and how they went out and did exactly what Jesus commissioned them to do. You see, the takeaway for me is that as missionaries sent into the world by Jesus with this mandate to be his witnesses, we have to have wide open hearts to whomever God leads us to. That may be a neighbor across the street. Maybe one that initially maybe we didn't even get off on the right foot with. All the way to maybe an unreached tribe in Africa or the Amazon and all points in between. You see, for most of us, the person or the place that we are to be a witness starts right where we are. It might be within our own homes and somebody that we live with that hasn't trusted Jesus. Maybe it's somebody that we go to school with or somebody that we work with or we coach soccer with. You see, there are people all around us who don't know Jesus. They don't know the gospel. They don't know the life-transforming good news of Jesus Christ. And that's who Jesus leads us to. I'm almost too embarrassed to admit it, but you know what was really embarrassing for me in preparing this message that was a challenge for me was that I was just roundly convicted of my own lack of urgency to be a witness for Jesus. I can talk passionately about the Oilers with the best of them. I can tell you in great detail how the game last Friday night unfolded. But when it comes to sharing about the work that Jesus has done and continues to do in my life, I tend to be hesitant, quiet. I really can't explain it because God has done a work in my life, but maybe I've taken that for granted. Or more likely, maybe I'm just lazy or distracted. I've allowed other things to become a higher priority. And as I sat with that for, for a couple of days, it just kind of hit me that, well, all I can really do in response to that is simply to pray and to, to ask God, help me to embrace this high calling of being a witness because I believe that you have called me to be a witness. So help me to step out boldly. Use me. Lead, help me lead people to you. And whatever the hindrances are, whatever my hesitations are, God, remove them. 
Fill me with the joy and the urgency and the passion to share what Jesus has done in my life. And it struck me that I think that's exactly the kind of prayer that's so important. And it's important because it acknowledges that to be a witness can be a little bit overwhelming. Maybe it is a little bit challenging. We don't really think we know what to say. And so it becomes a little bit scary and we don't want to offend anybody. But the reality is, when it comes to being a witness, we can't do it on our own strength. And the good news is, is we don't have to. Because look at the beginning of verse 8. Here's a promise from Jesus. You will receive power. You will receive power. So the power that you and I need to be witnesses will be provided to us. That's the promise of Jesus. And Jesus told his apostles to wait in Jerusalem. He was going to leave. And in his absence, he was then going to send the Holy Spirit who was going to come. He says, you will. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. You are going to receive this power. And this power is not political as they might have thought. They might have thought that that Jesus was going to give them this political power to rule and to reign in his absence. But no, this was a heavenly power that would empower them to be the witnesses that he called them to be. Earlier in his life, even before his death and resurrection, he was together with his disciples, and he said this in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Listen to the, tuck that word away, advocate. I will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. This advocate is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him, they're blind to him, nor knows him. But you know him, he says to his disciples, for he lives with you and will be in you. So he says another advocate. Some of your translations, other translations use words like comforter to help you, helper to help you, counselor. And Jesus, of course, is speaking here about the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the one who comes and lives in us, God with us, God in us. Acts 2 then records the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles on that day. It describes this dramatic scene. If you have your Bibles open, you can, you can flip there. I think I have this up on the screen. And, and they just described it this way. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Talk about a dramatic encounter with the Spirit of God that separated and came to rest on, on each of them. They spoke in other languages. It was this visible demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at this event in more detail in two weeks. But for now, it's important to know that this was the representation of how the apostles were empowered by the Spirit of God. They experienced exactly what Jesus said they would. He had said earlier to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses. And the rest of the book of Acts records all that they then did once they were empowered for this mission to which they were mandated. Friends, you and I don't have to wait for this encounter with the Spirit of God. 
Because if you were a believer in Jesus, you have this power at work in you. The Holy Spirit is already in you. And the Holy Spirit does His work. He comforts and He convicts and He helps and He counsels. He is the power within you. And we are called to then be witnesses, empowered by this Spirit. He is alive and active in our lives. And we call out to Him to help us, to strengthen us, to give us the words to share when we don't know what to say. You see, the beauty is that God didn't just call us to be witnesses and then send us off to fend for ourselves. He gifts us with power from the Holy Spirit. He is within us. And we pray that His power would be revealed and unleashed in us. And my sense is, my prayer is, that as we work our way through the rest of the book of Acts, that we will repeatedly see examples of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of the apostles, and we will see how the Spirit is at work in our own lives. And the Holy Spirit's power and presence in the the lives of the apostles changed them. They went out and boldly proclaimed the truth of the gospel. Their lives were filled with joy and wonder and passion. They went from cowering in fear to this courageous faith, willing to sacrifice their own lives if they had to. And it is this move of the Spirit in our lives that changes us and empowers us. We don't have to, like, you know, dig deep look within ourselves. It's none of that. We simply surrender and submit to the Spirit's leading. We pay attention to His whispers, and we recognize that He has empowered us to be His witnesses. Well, something pretty dramatic happens after Jesus finished saying these things. He's taken up into heaven. Verse 9, As they were looking on, referring to uh, the 11 disciples there, he was lifted up, referring to Jesus, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Can you just imagine that scene a little bit? Pretty dramatic. They're out there, Mount of Olives, and yet Luke shares it just simply and matter-of-factly. He's reporting history. He's recorded what actually happened. It was visible because the disciples were looking on. They were looking at Jesus. And right before their very eyes, he's lifted up, defying gravity, this miraculous act of God and the power of God demonstrated even in this. It was visible and there are these eyewitnesses of this. And then this cloud took them out of their sight. This cloud likely represents the pleasure and presence of God. We've seen the cloud before. Moses on Mount Sinai, the the Israelites were led by a cloud during the day. A presence in the form of a cloud surrounded Jesus at the transfiguration. This cloud is a visible manifestation of the glory of God. Now remember that Apostles are standing there, and they had not yet, in their instance, received the Holy Spirit. They only had Jesus' promise that they would receive the Holy Spirit, but he told them that they needed to wait in Jerusalem. 
And so all of what Jesus has told them is now coming to become a reality. Jesus was going back to the Father because he's returning to the Father. That's where he came from. And he was going to send the Holy Spirit to empower them for the task that he gave them. And no sooner had he said this, that the apostles had this, you know, heart-pounding, jaw-dropping experience. This historical reality is known as the ascension. It happened 40 days after the resurrection. This Thursday, May 26, is Ascension Day. My, my planning calendar, I thought it was interesting because, you know, you have a, a, a calendar um, and in it, you know, we have Easter and Christmas and some of those events in there, but it actually notes that this Thursday is Ascension Day. It's the day that we remember this event in the life of Jesus. Like, again, try to picture this. There they are with Jesus. He's talking. He commissions them. And all of a sudden, he's just lifting off, and this cloud comes and hides him from their sight. This truly would have been one of those where were you when moments. They saw it happen. And Luke says that, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. And suddenly these two angels arrive on the scene. And listen to what they said. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, Jesus is going to come back. And he makes it very clear that it's in the same way. So it's, it's bodily, it's visibly, it's gloriously. But, it, but what's interesting about it is we can make such a big deal about, well, when is this going to happen? When is Jesus going to come back? And really, in the context here, Jesus is saying, like, listen, don't worry about that. I'm giving you a job to do, so just get on with it. You've got work to do. You're going to be my witnesses. And I say to you again, there is no higher calling, no greater purpose, because we've been mandated for this mission. Friends, don't let the struggles of life consume you. Don't let the worries distract you. Don't let some of the diversions in our lives take us off course. We hear the words of the angels to us this morning. Why are you standing here? Why are you standing there just stargazing when you have a message to proclaim? Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And after 40 days, he ascended into heaven and he's coming back. We are now living in this time between his ascension and his return. And this ascension of Jesus was the starting point of this mandate for mission. You will be my witnesses. You can't ignore it. You can't get around it. And this is a mandate that hasn't been lifted. It isn't over. So let me wrap this up and summarize just a couple of thoughts, hopefully in a way that you can take something away from this message. The question always is, when we study a passage from the Bible like this, is how do we then respond? How do we then respond? 
You have heard us talk often about TCC's mission to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and to share Jesus. Uh, we believe that this echoes this great commission that Jesus gave us, that, you know, his spirit is at work, and we have a responsibility to be on mission with him. And so we come to this first word, just know. And there's a couple ways that we can look at that. One is simply to ask the question is, have you come to know Jesus personally? And what I mean by that is just everything that you've heard about Jesus, maybe some of this is really new and you're wrestling with it, but have you come to the place where you can say, yes, I have said yes to Jesus. I've put my faith and trust in him. And I can't really explain it, but God started to stir. And one day I turned on a a YouTube video. One time I showed up at church. One time I had a conversation. I asked a friend of mine at work who seemed to be so full of life and peace and the hope in the the midst of despair. And I said, "Why, why are you the way that you are? And she told me about Jesus. He told me about Jesus. Have you said yes to Jesus? Do you know him personally as your Lord, as your Savior, the one who's changed your life and will change your life moving forward? And if you have said yes to Jesus, how are you growing in your knowledge of who Jesus is? What what are you intentionally doing through teaching or through the study of the Scriptures How are you coming to know him and his grace in a deeper way? We use the word walking with Jesus a lot, and Pastor Adam covered a lot of this in his message last week, so I don't need to say much more about that other than if you didn't hear it, to go back and listen to it. But we want to encourage people to engage in practices that help us walk with Jesus on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, where we're, where we're people who are walking in step with the Spirit, where we're, we're, we're listening to Him, we're carving out times where we can be in silence and solitude, where we can be in Scripture, where we can be praying. But we realize, too, that those practices also have an outward manifestation, where we live in relationship with other people. So we talk about walking with Jesus in the company of others, where we experience community, and that's why it's important to be part of a church community. And you're not going to be best friends with everybody in a church community, but, but you can get to know some people really well because within this community at TCC, we've got smaller groups, and there's men's prayer, and there's women's refresh, and there's other activities that draw people together in small groups and home groups. But you should look around and say, who are the people that I'm walking closely with in the company of others as we walk together with Jesus. And lastly, is really what the emphasis of this message was about, is to share Jesus. To share Jesus means simply that we are these witnesses that we've been mandated to be. And we live this out in our daily lives, that hopefully through uh, the work that God's doing in our lives, that that you know, speaks loud and clear to the people that we come in relationship with because we're just different. When our life, like when when our world is in chaos, we find peace because we can have trust and confidence that God is in control of those things. But we also use words. And so this is the practice of evangelism where we remember that we have a responsibility, we have an obligation 
to tell others about Jesus. And so we look for those people that God has put in our path. Most of us don't need to go very far to discover that there's people around us that don't know Jesus. And we just have a relationship with them. We walk with them. We live our lives before them. We don't make it a, a, you know, this conquest that, oh, I got to get them saved. It's none of that. We just, we live out our lives. And when they ask us for the reason that we have this hope and this peace in our lives, we can boldly declare it and say, you know what? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how I met him. Let me tell you about my life since meeting him and how I walk with him. How I'm part of this church community where we gather together and we worship him. Let me tell you about that. Friends, sometimes that's all we need to do because ultimately it's the Spirit of God that's going to be at work in their lives as He is in our lives. And He will just draw them in. We're going to get to a point in Acts chapter 2 that after the Holy Spirit comes upon them, Peter goes out and preaches this incredible message, and guess what? 3,000 people came to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They, gave, they just responded to, yes, yes, because they saw it in the lives of everyone else. Oh, that we might be passionate about being His witnesses. Maybe even more than some are passionate about hockey. Let's pray. Father, I can't imagine a a greater cause that we can be a part of. The call that you've placed on our lives as your followers is a high calling. This mandate for mission that we talked about is challenging. Father, maybe we're sitting here today and just saying, I know this is true, it resonates in my heart, but I'm overwhelmed, I'm scared. I don't know if I can live that way. It seems like so out of my comfort zone. And so I thank you that wherever we find ourselves, you meet us and you promise that your spirit will help us because your spirit is in us. And so, God, help us to be the witnesses that you've called us to be. Witnesses who who pray for those around us who don't know Jesus, who pray for the opportunity, who pray that, that your spirit might just be at work in people's lives. Maybe it's a spouse, a friend, a child, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody we go to school with. But, God, I pray that you would find us faithful in praying, And if it requires sacrificing, that we would do that too. And I pray, God, that the passion that we see in the apostles after they had been filled with the Spirit of God, they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, they were unleashed in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I pray that you would fill our hearts with a passion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.